0: Welcome to Asian Washington, the podcast of the Edwin O. Reischauer Center for East Asian Studies at Johns Hopkins Sice. Our website is reischauercenter.org. I'm Evan Sankey. Our guest today is Ambassador David B. Shear. Ambassador Scheer previously served as Assistant Secretary of Defense for Asian and Pacific Security Affairs from 2014 to 2016, when he performed the duties of Principal Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Policy. Prior to 2014, Ambassador Shear served for 32 years in the U.S. Foreign Service, most recently as the U.S. Ambassador to Vietnam. He has also served in Sapporo, Beijing, Tokyo, and Kuala Lumpur. In Washington, Ambassador Scheer has served in the offices of Japanese, Chinese, and Korean Affairs and as the Special Assistant to the Undersecretary for Political Affairs. He was Director of the Office of Chinese and Mongolian Affairs in 2008-2009 and served as Deputy Assistant Secretary in the Bureau of East Asian and Pacific Affairs in 2009-2011. Ambassador Scheer graduated from Earlham College and has a Master's Degree in International Affairs from the Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies. He has attended Waseda University, Taiwan National University, and Nanjing University. He speaks Chinese and Japanese. Ambassador Scheer is now a professor at his alma mater, the School of Advanced International Studies. And today he will speak with us about how U.S. strategy in Northeast Asia compares with U.S. strategy in Southeast Asia and what the implications are for the future of the U.S.-Japan alliance. Ambassador Scheer, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Evan. So what is U.S. strategy in Northeast Asia and how does it compare to U.S. strategy in Southeast Asia? Well, traditionally, our grand
1: strategy is to prevent a hegemon from dominating the Eurasian continent, both in Northeast Asia and Southeast Asia. But in Southeast Asia, our alliances are weak, our allies are less capable, and it's less clear, I think, both to the American political elite and to the American public, why we would go to war in Southeast Asia.
0: And what is the implication of this difference, do you think, for
1: for the US-Japan alliance? Well, in Northeast Asia, one of the principal uh, uh, characteristics of the international system there is the military confrontation on the Korean peninsula across the 38th parallel. So, military presence and military confrontation to a great extent, define international uh, relations in Northeast Asia. Whereas in Southeast Asia, that is not the case. In Southeast Asia, uh, we have primarily a diplomatic theater that responds to diplomatic measures, diplomatic and economic measures, uh, in contrast with Northeast Asia.
0: Why is it that the American, that the U.S. government views Southeast Asia as less important than Northeast Asia?
1: Well, the U.S. government have, has lots of important areas on its mind that have enjoyed priority um, traditionally in U.S. strategy, including Western Europe, uh, the Middle East, and the Persian Gulf. Traditionally. Asia has not been the highest on Washington's priority list, including Northeast Asia, although North Korea gets a lot of attention. Southeast Asia has been much lower on the priorities list, particularly since we pulled out from Vietnam in the early 70s. But isn't it, if our goal, and you mentioned our goal in in
0: Asia is to prevent the emergence of a hegemon, isn't there a case to be made that a... Were a hegemon to arise in Asia, it it would arise on the basis of the resources of Northeast
1: rather than Southeast Asia. Well, China is both a Northeast Asian power and a Southeast Asian power, and we have to keep that in mind uh, as we move forward in those regions. China's going to have a big say on affairs in Northeast Asia. It could have a much bigger say in Southeast Asia, given the relative weakness of our position there. How does Japan perceive Southeast Asia versus... Security and stability in Southeast Asia is extremely important to Japan, to Japan given the fact that uh, Japan's shipping lanes to the to the Indian Ocean, the Persian Gulf, and to Europe go through the South China Sea and the Malacca Strait. Much of Japan's oil from the Persian Gulf comes through the Malacca Strait, goes up the South China Sea to Japan. So. Uh, Southeast Asia is of vital importance to the Japanese strategically. I think perhaps more important than it is to them, than it is to us. And so, the Japanese
0: government has put Southeast Asia at the center of a lot of its, um,
1: a lot of the diplomatic initiatives under the Abe administration, could you talk about that a little bit? That's right. And chief among one of Prime Minister Abe's priorities is cooperating with the US diplomatically in Southeast Asia to uh, ensure that Southeast Asian countries remain uh, free and independent, as well as prosperous. Um, so the U.S. and Japan uh, share strong interests there, even if Japan's interests are greater than, than ours. How, what is the difference between
0: how Japan is responding to Chinese power in Southeast Asia
1: and how the United States is? Well, there are strong similarities. I think both Japan and the United States uh, view Southeast Asia as primarily a diplomatic theater. I think that was more the case for the Obama administration than it is for the Trump administration. But I I think the US and Japan um, view give priority to uh, the use of diplomatic tools in Southeast Asia and to the use of bilateral cooperation among the two allies um, to pursue our interests there. But Japan is,
0: historically, Japanese diplomacy has been more um, more involved
1: with development, and maybe the US a little bit less so. Japanese diplomacy in Southeast Asia traditionally has been oriented towards uh, the use of economic tools, uh, trade, investment, and development assistance. Uh, those remain very strong Japanese priorities. Uh, in their strategic toolbox, but to those uh, tools, they have added the military tool recently um, with a, uh, a much more vigorous uh, Japanese presence in Southeast Asia, particularly uh, by using the Maritime Self-Defense Force.
0: What are the prospects for U.S.-Japan cooperation in infrastructure in Southeast Asia? We have America sort of reorganizing its its uh, um, overseas development organizations. Japan has long had uh, great interest in in infrastructure
1: diplomacy. So, what are what are the opportunities? Well, I think the prospects for U.S.-Japan cooperation in the development of Southeast Asian infrastructure are very good. Of course, the Japanese have committed a lot of money to assisting the Southeast Asians build out their infrastructure. Uh, those That funding may increase as the Japanese uh, compete more with the Chinese. Uh, The BUILD Act, which I believe was passed by Congress in 2018, is a $60 billion program that's global in scope, which will leave a lot less than $60 billion for Southeast Asia. So we're going to have to make up uh, for the lack of military assets in Southeast Asia, and the lack of financial power in Southeast Asia with more vigorous and more sharply defined diplomacy. In terms of our perception of Southeast Asia, should it be more
0: than um, showing up to the, the ASEAN
1: summits and things like that? How much further should the United States go? Well, engagement. Uh, by the United States in the region is very important. And it's important for the Southeast Asians to see that the United States is engaged. And when they see that we're engaged, and when the region sees that we're engaged, the Chinese behave differently. They treat the Southeast Asians better. So engagement is very important. And uh, among the things we do to engage the Southeast Asians are to ensure that the president president shows up for the East Asia Summit and for the Apex Summit. My sense is that uh, at the upcoming East Asia Summit, the highest level of U.S. representation will be Secretary of Commerce Ross this year. I think that has to change. Um, We can uh, commit more economic resources to the region. We can commit more military resources to the region. But if the region perceives that we don't have the will to, uh, to... pursue our interest in Southeast Asia vigorously, then we can throw all kinds of tools out onto the shop floor, but if we're not using them effectively, it'll have no effect on how the Southeast Asians interact with China. There
0: are two Southeast Asian countries uh, that are military allies, uh, Thailand and the Philippines. And I'm curious how it, it seems to, m- to me like they might, if, if we were to reinvigorate our position in Southeast Asia, that those two
1: countries might be a place to start? Well, certainly uh, we're going to have to work hard to uh, overcome the delays in progress we've had with Thailand uh, since the military coup. And I think that, um, that effort is in progress, but I think it will take more attention uh, and more senior leadership attention from Washington in order for us to uh, recover the lost ground. The Philippines is a different matter. The Philippines is more strategically important to us than Thailand is, though Thailand is important. Um, The importance of the Philippines, I think, was demonstrated in 2016 and 2017 when the uh, uh, Law of the Sea tribunal ruled in favor of a Philippine uh, effort to uh, get the court to judge on the Chinese claims in the South China Sea. The court judged in favor of the Philippines. This gave regional diplomacy vis-a-vis China a real shot in the arm, which uh, was drastically weakened when President Duterte came to power as president in uh, 2016, late 2016.
0: And yet the, the U.S., the sort of enhanced, uh, I think it's called the Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement,
1: it, it remains in force. Is that right? I'm not sure. What's what what's the status of the implementation? Excuse me. It, it does remain in force, and uh, we continue to try and implement it. I think the implementation uh, is moving slowly, but that's something we'll have to be patient about. Um, and we're not going to give up on the Philippines. It's a It's a thriving uh, important democracy, and uh, and we value its partnership for that reason. What about um,
0: what about ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations? It, it's it's often derided as being just a least common denominator talk shop with no. No, little strategic weight, kind of like an even weaker version of the European Union. What is of what value is ASEAN to ASEAN, the
1: institution, to the United States? The diplomatic forums that fall under ASEAN as an institution are extremely important in to us as they are to the people in the region. Uh, The East Asia Summit. The ASEAN Regional Forum, which is a a foreign minister's forum, and the ASEAN Defense Ministerial uh, are all very important for regional diplomacy. The U.S., uh, at least during the Obama administration, engaged in these these, uh, forums vigorously. We got our message out on the Southeast Asian street. We signaled to the Southeast Asians that we were engaged to the region, and that bolstered their diplomacy vis-a-vis China. I don't see that kind of uh, uh, engagement on the part of this administration. What is Japan willing
0: to do without the United States? Because it it seems to me like Japan Japan is intentionally putting a lot of its eggs in the sort of United States strategic basket here. And if it doesn't pan out for Japan in Southeast Asia or in the region more broadly, what,
1: what do you think they would be willing to do? Well, I think uh, it's pretty clear that even without uh, a strong U.S. presence in the region, the Japanese would be using economic diplomacy They'd be using political diplomacy, and they'd be using military deployments and military uh, diplomacy to uh, pursue their goals. Uh, In addition to that, um, the US isn't the only partner or ally in the region. The Japanese have been assiduously cultivating the Australians, for example. Um, And that relationship, uh, I think, will be an important factor in regional stability in the future. The United States needs to provide those kinds of networking relationships with the backbone they need to engage China more effectively as partners.
0: What is the role of India in this equation? Japan, it seems to me, the Abe administration has put a lot of emphasis, um, as not just the Abe administration, multiple Japanese administrations have put a lot of emphasis on building up ties with India. Uh, what, is, what is the role of that?
1: the regional equation? Well, when we think about Indian foreign and security policy, we always have to remind ourselves that Pakistan is India's biggest problem, and that India will be focused on Pakistan for as long as that problem exists. We'll be primarily focused on that problem as long as it exists. However, as a, uh, a second priority, it's quite clear that Southeast Asia and the South China Sea have risen in uh, the spectrum of Indian interests. That's uh, demonstrated in the Indian Look East policy, which they have pursued for the past couple of years, in which they have uh, shown more engagement in Southeast Asia, both diplomatically and economically, as well as militarily. Um, So the They've recognized the strategic importance of Southeast Asia and the South China Sea, and they are pursuing their interests there um, across all the tools of, of, of statecraft. Uh, however, um, and uh, the American effort to cultivate an, a partnership with India in Southeast Asia and the South China Sea uh, is an effort to encourage them to commit themselves further to this the Japanese are engaged in a similar effort. And most recently, we've seen all of these efforts come together in what's known as the Quad, which is a quadrilateral meeting among the U.S., Japan, Australia, and India that has taken place, I believe, at the head of state level um, most recently in Manila. So uh, uh, this is an important development. It's unlikely to turn into an alliance, particularly a military alliance, anytime soon. But it's important to show the Chinese that we all have options uh, in, in Southeast Asia and South Asia as well. Um, and when they know that we have options, we have more leverage vis-a-vis China.
0: How much attention should we pay to Chinese perceptions? A lot of people say the Quad is, a common criticism of the Quad is that it just it looks like um, encirclement? It's not to say it, it's intended that way, but should we worry what Chinese perceptions of, of our regional initiatives are?
1: Well, we need to know how the Chinese perceive our intentions and our actions. We need to take that into consideration as we move forward. But we can't let Chinese interests and uh, perceptions uh, dominate how we engage with the region.
0: The Quad uh, has often been mentioned in the same context as the the Indo-Pacific strategy. Uh, The Indo-Pacific strategy, at least in the public sphere, um, it seems to have come from Shinzo Abe way back when he was uh, prime minister in 2006 and 2007. Uh, It's been picked up, it seems, by the Trump administration. What are the what are the the facets of the Indo-Pacific strategy? Uh, on the American side? What are the facets of the Indo-Pacific strategy on the Japanese side, and what is the, uh, what are the synergies
1: between them? I think one of the main facets of the Trump administration's Indo-Pacific strategy is the interest in uh, trying to ensure that countries in the region, Southeast Asian countries, have the tools and the confidence they need to engage the Chinese strongly and independently. Um, on the basis of their own sovereign interests. This administration, of course, places a lot of interest on national sovereignty, not just ours, but national sovereignty of our uh, partners and allies. And um, I think the administration has stressed the importance of independence and national sovereignty uh, to the countries of Southeast Asia. And in pursuit of that interest, uh, among other things, the the uh, U.S. government has uh, implemented the Build Act for supporting infrastructure. The, the Congress has passed the Asia uh, in Engagement uh, Initiative Act, uh, and uh, starting in the Obama administration, we uh, implemented the Maritime Security Initiative, which in 2016 was a 450 million dollar five year program designed to bolster the maritime uh, capabilities of our Southeast Asian friends.
0: And so the what's wrong? Oh, turn it. And what is uh, just again? What is the? Um, what is the contrast with the Japanese approach? The Japanese free and open Indo-Pacific strategy, is, is, it's older, it began with this concept called the arc of freedom and prosperity a very long time ago. I'm just trying to understand what the, um, what the evolution of this idea
1: is. Well, I think, I think it rests in the realization that the countries of Southeast Asia need to be able to, to some extent, stand on their own. And, to do, and we have to help them do that. Um, I think the Japanese understand that. I think the Japanese understand that Southeast Asia, for them as well as for us, is primarily a diplomatic theater. And when you're talking about diplomatic theaters, you're talking about using the tools of diplomacy and economic policy as much as you're talking about military presence.
0: One of the themes you touched on One of the themes you touched on earlier is um, resource constraints uh, on the American side, that the BUILD Act is $60 billion, that China brings a lot more to the table. It seems to me that if America were to bring a lot more to the table, it would have to tell a convincing story to the American people about why we must bring more to the table. And so from the from the perspective of public relations in the United States, how do you think any US government
1: should go about making the case? Well, I think first of all, it's not in our strategic interests for China to Establish a sphere of influence over Southeast Asia, nor is it in the Japanese interest for this to happen. So, this is a very important alliance issue for the Japan and the United States. It's important strategically for us, given the importance of those waterways from the Western Pacific to the Indian Ocean to both us and to the Japanese. Secondly, uh, uh, the ASEAN, 10 ASEAN countries, have a gigantic combined economy. They have uh, big uh, trade account. Um, The United States is a major trading partner and investor in Southeast Asia, and this creates American jobs. What could be more important to us? I'd like
0: to to turn to Vietnam. So you were U.S. ambassador to Vietnam um, how many years ago? 2011 to 2014. What what do you see as as the current state of the U.S. relationship with Vietnam? It seems like it's blossomed. It's blossomed kind of surprisingly, given our history. But is there? Do you think that Vietnam has a unique role to play as a U.S. partner
1: in Southeast Asia? I think Vietnam is very important um, for the U.S. Vietnam, of course, is of what you might call a frontline state on Southeast Asia or South China Sea diplomacy. Uh, it's important that we cooperate closely with the Vietnamese. Uh, On South China Sea diplomacy, as we have been doing both in the Obama and in the Trump administrations. Um, uh, The relationship with Vietnam, however, goes beyond just competing with China and cooperating uh, on the South China Sea. We have strong historic and family ties uh, with the Vietnamese. Um, uh, We have strong overall common interests, not just strategic interests, but economic interests as well. And if the administration is not careful, and if it obsesses too strongly on uh, the trade imbalance with Vietnam, we risk killing the goose that lays the golden egg.
0: What is the difference between the U.S. approach to uh, Japan's territorial dispute with China and the East China Sea? and? ASEAN countries' disputes with China and the South China Sea?
1: There's a big difference in that uh, the U.S. has declared publicly that our security treaty with Japan covers the Senkakus. That's the case because when Okinawa reverted to Japanese sovereignty in the 1970s, we stated that territories under Japanese administration are covered by the security treaty, the Senkakus are very much under Japanese administration. So that security treaty, as President Obama has first stated, falls under US obligations to Japan. We do not have such obligations to any of the countries in Southeast Asia. We don't have a security treaty that covers the, the Spratly or the Paracel Islands or any part of the South China Sea. Our our
0: treaty with the Philippines covers the metropolitan territory. That's
1: correct. One might argue that we are obligated to defend the Philippines should the Chinese try to take over Scarborough Shoal, which the Philippines claims. However, um, we don't recognize the applicability of the security treaty with the Philippines to the geographical feature of the Scarborough Shoal. What we have said in public and in private to the Philippines is that the security treaty with the Philippines covers Philippine personnel and military units. So that if Philippine military personnel or military units were attacked by the Chinese not only in the vicinity of Scarborough Shoal, but anywhere in the Western Pacific, the, treat, the security treaty covers that.
0: I'd like to ask a related question about, about China's uh, Some people have said China's run a, an increasingly aggressive foreign policy, and others have said that China's been making a mistake in Southeast Asia, that it's, it's behaved um, it's been so forward-leaning that it's alienated a lot of um, Southeast Asian countries. There's some notable exceptions, Cambodia, maybe Thailand. But I, I'm wondering, what has China made a mistake? And if they have, what should that tell us about the likelihood of
1: um, bandwagoning? I think Southeast Asian countries would rather hedge before they bandwagon. And by that I mean they they don't want to be put in a position of having to choose between the United States and China. They want to be able to balance themselves uh, between the two. Um, and for the time being, that's what's happening. Um, no, no one, as far as I know, is asking the Southeast Asians to choose between, uh, say, American dominance in the region and Chinese dominance in the region. No one's asking them to do that. So I think. Right now, Southeast Asians have lots of opportunities in that space between the United States and China to enjoy the benefits of good relations with both the United States and with China, as well as with Japan. They have a lot to gain from that. Um, With regard to the efficacy of Chinese diplomacy in the region, the Chinese can be very clumsy, awkward, and overbearing in their diplomacy. For example, they've stated publicly that Southeast Asian countries are small, China is big, so they should just go along with China. They've said that publicly, um, and in diplomatic forums uh, in the past. Um, And the Southeast Asians, particularly the Vietnamese, um, bristle at that. Um, That said, However distasteful the Southeast Asians may find having to deal with a Chinese superpower, China's right there on their borders. They have to live with China. Secondly, China offers huge economic opportunities, um, whether you think their infrastructure is quality infrastructure or not. So, the Southeast Asians are uh, in the situa- a situation in which they really it's really uh, optimal for them to be some poised somewhere on the spectrum, the diplomatic spectrum between the United States and China. And as long as they have the in- independence and the flexibility to maintain that, uh, that counterpoise, um, that's okay with us because we're not going to... We don't have the resources or the will to make new military alliances in Southeast Asia. As I said earlier, we're not sure why we'd fight. So the the uh, diplomatic alternative to that state of affairs is a situation in which the Southeast Asian countries, Southeast Asia is free and open. Southeast Asian countries are strong, prosperous, and independent. And that's the approach I took when I was ambassador in Hanoi. And Vietnam is demonstrating in its maneuverability, diplomatic maneuverability between the United States and China, that Southeast Asian countries, though they are dwarfed by Chinese power and economic wealth, um, still have um, enough pluck and enough maneuverability to maintain their independence. But they can only do that as long as the United States provides them the region with a strong backbone. And it's not clear to me that the administration is doing that.
0: So, let's talk a little bit about the current administration. Because on a purely policy level, uh, the current administration's um, documents Policy documents and and you know deployments to Asia. They look assertive. They look forward leaning. The Indo Pacific strategy, uh, the national defense strategy, the national security strategy. Um, officially speaking, from from on the basis of the documentation, it looks like um, perhaps accepting the TPP that the administration is sort of doing. What one would hope they would do uh,
1: towards Southeast Asia, so what is the problem? There are a couple of problems uh, first, uh, from a an East Asian perspective, if you look at what Washington spends its time on these days, it's spending its time obsessing with impeachment and the various scandals that emerge almost on a daily basis uh, in connection with that and that means that, to them, the United States is not paying sufficient attention to its its uh, its role as a leader in the international community, and it's not paying enough attention to the pursuit of its interests abroad. Uh, second, uh, it's clear that the president um, has a much different conception of what our alliances mean to us and what they should be doing for us than... His predece- any of his predecessors. The president has publicly disparaged uh, our allies, including our East Asian allies. Um, he has uh, expressed his view that um, maybe we should pull our forces out of South Korea, and that Japan and Korea are not um, spending enough on, on the alliance. Um, this undermines the credibility of our commitment to the region and to our allies and worries the East Asians that the US is pulling back from its traditional leadership role in the region. Uh, Second, or I'm sorry, third, uh, the American withdrawal from from the Trans-Pacific Partnership was a first-rate blunder. Um, The East Asians understood that better than the Americans, I think, that the Trans-Pacific Partnership not only offered economic benefits to them and to the United States, but it offered strategic benefits as well. No one understood this better than the Vietnamese, who believed that Trans-Pacific Partnership with United States participation offered them the opportunity to diversify their trading partners and to avoid having to accommodate themselves solely to the Chinese economic giant to their north. As I said, I think the Vietnamese and many people in the region understood this better than the Americans did, and I think the president's main reasons for pulling out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership were based on a domestic political calculation more than any calculation of the economic benefits or the strategic benefits to the United States.
0: I've spoken to uh, some Japanese who uh, particularly a a professor Nakayama at uh, at Keio University and he, he said that um from the Japanese point of view, the Obama administration and the Trump administration do not look a great deal different in terms of their um, diminished commitment to Asia. And, and in the Obama years, you know, they had the the rebalance, and there was always the excuse of something happening in the Middle East. Today, we, we have the Indo-Pacific strategy, but we're distracted by, as you said, by impeachment and by an array of other scandals and, and, and issues. And on the other hand, as you say, China is right there on the doorstep of all these countries. How inevitable is it that the Chinese center of gravity will hold sway?
1: Well, of course it's inevitable that Chinese influence in the region will increase. Uh, whether or not it will hold sway will depend in part on how vigorously the United States engages with the region and uh, how vigorously it cooperates with its allies in doing so. Um, so uh, Chinese domination of the region uh, is not assured, even if uh, stronger Chinese influence in the region is. Um, and. The United States has a role to play here and a responsibility as far as I'm concerned.
0: And the United States, it seems given resource constraints, will have to set priorities. And historically, Southeast Asia has been a lower priority than Northeast Asia. And I'm I'm wondering, given the requirement of setting priorities,
1: who's to say we have it wrong now? I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong. What I'm saying is that if Southeast Asia is a lower priority than Northeast Asia, then we should recognize it in the rhetoric we use in talking about the region. We can't do everything everywhere, but at the same time, we also have to up our diplomatic game uh, in Southeast throughout the region, but particularly in Southeast Asia, and that a diplomatic game that is backed by economic power and military force can be every bit as effective as a crude uh, approach relying on military co- uh, confrontation. Ambassador
0: Scheer, we're almost out of time. Uh, I wonder if you have any, any concluding thoughts?
1: Go Nats.
0: <laughs> Thank you for being on uh, Asia and Washington. Thank you. Asia in Washington is a production of the Edwin O. Reischauer Center for East Asian Studies at Johns Hopkins Sice. Visit our website at reischauercenter.org.